Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's Wednesday, November 8th. Welcome to the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Thanks for tuning in. we got a lot going on today. Let's jump in. Uh, at this moment, the provincial government is announcing legislation that will allow the building of new homes near transit hubs. In fact, I'm just looking at BC1 right now, and the minister is taking some questions. Minister Ravi, Minister Ravi Kela, he will be joining us at 345 to talk about t- today's announcement. Now, the proposed legislation will require municipalities to designate what they call transit-oriented development areas near transit hubs. These areas will be land within 800 metres of a rapid transit station and within 400 metres of a bus exchange. In these designated areas, municipalities will be required to permit high-density housing developments and they also uh, have to remove restrictive parking minimums and allow for parking to be determined by need and demand on a project-by-project basis. As I said, um, Housing Minister Ravi Kailan is uh, in the midst of announcing that program right now. He's with Rob Fleming, the Minister of Transportation. Uh, The Minister will be joining us on this program at 3.45. Now, yesterday, the government introduced legislation that it says will cut back on home-building construction times by pre-zoning land. The bill would also create a new amenity cost charge tool that would give builders and municipalities a more transparent understanding of the costs uh, associated with a housing housing project from the start. Now, Langley Township Mayor Eric Woodward says his community, which still has plenty of land for housing, will be stifled by the new rules from Victoria. Take a listen. It is going to create some some delays and as we transition. It, there'll be some cash flow implications that we're going to have to address. We currently collect those fixed rate amenity fees at, during the rezoning process. And if that's deferred until building permit, uh, there'll be some cash flow issues that, that will have to be dealt with during a transition. Mm-hmm. It's the pre-zoning of land. So if we're required to pre-zone for a single family uh, to be allowed to have six-unit apartment buildings by June, uh, I'm not sure we'll be able to transition that program on the same time frame. Uh, that was Langley Township Mayor Eric Woodward. He's going to join us at 5 o'clock as well to talk about yesterday's announcement and today's announcement uh, as well in regards to uh, greater density in and around transit stations as well. Now, not all communities are the same. Of course, communities like Delta don't have a lot of undeveloped land or no undeveloped land, quite frankly, compared to Langley Township or even Surrey. So how do the new rules affect them? Well, joining me now is Councillor Dylan Kruger from Delta. Dylan, thank you for joining us today. Jazz, thanks for having me. Your thoughts on the announcement uh, by the uh, provincial government on the upzoning, are you supportive of it? I, we, we had uh, Eric Woodward on yesterday express some concern uh, as a fast-growing community that it does uh, hinder them in regards to how they plan, how they move forward. Uh, what impact do you see, uh, if any, in Delta? I see this as a very positive step, and we're certainly not innovators here. The city of Edmonton, of all places, has actually now required pre-zoning for their entire city to match their OCP. So what the province is doing is actually taking a completely redundant step out of the system. If the goal is to approve housing faster, 
rezoning is a duplicate duplication of the existing OCP process. So I see this as a as a good news story if we want predictable and quick housing approvals in, in this province. But does it not hinder you if if you have wide swaths of land that you look you're already building you're already building uh, density you're already building row homes townhomes condominiums that missing middle we all talk about. Uh, if you're already doing that, does this type of, uh, uh, of sort of regulation not hinder fast-growing communities when they're already planning, already heading in the right direction, and take some of that power away in regards to how communities should develop over the longer term? Well, look, and there's going to be differing views on this amongst elected officials. I don't like the rezoning process because it, it gives municipalities a lot of power that they probably shouldn't have to dictate form and character of development. If you're walking in to build a single-family home uh, in, in any city in B.C. You're walking in and getting a building permit. You're not having a local council making arbitrary decisions on uh, the paint color that you're using or the types of windows or the landscaping on your lawn. Those are the types of decisions that cities can hold over developers when they're holding their rezoning uh, process hostage. I'm curious, uh, in regards to um, haggling that developers have to do with cities in regards to community uh, amenity contributions, that type of thing, how long can something like that last? Uh, how how long can CACs last? Yeah, just in regards to com- the conversation between a city and, let's say, a developer for a major project. Oh, these negotiated CAC conversations, Jazz, they can go on for months and months and months. And Look, I get it. We need to have a separate and serious conversation about financing in local government because local governments in this province don't have nearly enough tools to uh, build the infrastructure that we need to accommodate growth. So that's a, a separate but related conversation. But negotiated CACs add time and uncertainty to the process where you could have two identical projects with two different developers and two radically different combinations of amenity fees and and. Um, uh, and pro- sometimes you get projects in lieu, such as a, p- a proponent of below-market housing. But what the industry needs and what we need if we actually want to approve housing uh, fast uh, is that consistency in the CAC process, and that's what this new legislation is going to achieve. Uh, between what was announced already, uh, three units potentially on a single-family lot could be developed in this province, up to six around transit uh, sites. Um, secondary suites or laneway homes um, can be... Um, uh, built uh, across this province, right? Uh, And based on what's been announced in regards to uh, upzoning already, do you worry, and I I would agree, look, we have housing challenges, there's no doubt. Do you worry that we're moving a little too fast, though, in regards to the public coming along? Because these are significant changes once implemented. Uh, Do you worry that the public may be concerned here? They are significant changes. Uh, they're changes that, that I and others have been advocating for for a long time. So it, it's, it's great to see them come forward. But I agree. I think there's going to be a, a component of public education here. But it's also important to remember, Jazz, that even though these changes happen on paper, you're not going to see the changes in your neighborhood overnight. You're not going to see overnight a bunch of fourplexes and duplexes popping up all over your single-family neighborhood. What this is doing is allowing cities to grow organically again like they once did. So instead of putting your neighborhood or your city into a time capsule and saying whatever the zoning was in 1972, that's what it's going to be forever until the end of time, we now allow opportunities for families as their needs change, as their housing needs change, uh, to adapt uh, their piece of land uh, to to fit those changes. So we're going to see more 
organic growth over time. But do I think that overnight neighborhoods are going to become overcrowded and the streets are going to be full and the sewers are going to be full? No. We do need to plan for that. We need to pay for it, which I said, like I said, is a separate and important conversation. Uh, but we're not going to see these changes overnight. Uh, and there's been a lot of talk about, oh, parking in established neighborhoods that don't have basement suites, may not want basement suites, or don't want laneway homes. How real do you think that is? Uh, look, there's always going to be parking challenges. There's parking challenges in neighborhoods where there are no uh, suites or, or laneway homes, where you have intergenerational families living together, uh, and you've got six or seven cars in the family. So uh, that's always going to be a challenge, whether or not there's suites or laneway homes. Uh, we need to fund public transit. We need to fund public transit expansion to give those. And it's not going to work for everyone. Not everyone is in a stage of life or position to be able to take transit. But for those who are on the borderline of choice, who could but don't because it's just not consistent enough or accessible enough, those are the ones we need to capture as growth is coming into this region. We're going to have a million more people in Metro Vancouver in the next 20 years. They can't all be taking cars. Yeah, lots to talk about. Uh, and sometimes when I look at these conversations, there's almost a... Um and it's not too pronounced, but you see a, a generational um, concern. There's a younger generation going, let's go, let's do this. An older generation saying, hang on here. I don't want my single-family neighborhood to be overrun. I guess that's part of the conversation, part of the education as well. Yeah, absolutely. And look, there, there is a, there's a hierarchy of needs uh, in society. And I say safe accommodation, safe places to live is top of the list for me. Uh, there's other concerns, and they're real concerns, traffic and parking and you know, quote-unquote neighborhood character, but none of those trump a place to live. Uh, young people, people under the age of 40 who are, have families of their own uh, are in an existential crisis in this region, not looking and seeing a future for them, not seeing a place to rent uh, as their family needs expand, let alone a place to own. Those are the people uh, that we're fighting for, that want to stay here, that we need to stay here because we need the jobs, we need the employment, uh, but they don't see the housing options for them. They're, they're in a place of desperation. I'm a young counselor. I get a lot of these calls. They're heartbreaking calls. Those are the people that we're fighting for here to make sure that everyone has a safe place to live in this region. Dylan, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Jazz, thanks so much.